It is with great excitement that in 2021, we are blessed to have two new sponsors for the CT Startup Podcast. One of those sponsors is CT Next, an organization each one of our hosts, as well as many of our guests and listeners have had the opportunity and pleasure of interacting with. I'm going to let Glendalyn Thames, Deputy Commissioner of the DCD and Founding Executive Director of CT Next, explain what CT Next does for early stage businesses here in Connecticut. So what is CT Next? Our, our mission um, fundamentally is really to equip early stage companies and entrepreneurs with resources, guidance, um, networks to accelerate their, their growth um, and, and really creating an environment where our entrepreneurs can really start their business, grow their business and thrive in Connecticut and positioning Connecticut as the most desirable location in the country for an innovative company to build and grow and create jobs. And we do this, uh, you know, a few different ways, right? Um, one by, you know, really cultivating a network of public-private partnerships and really acting as a catalyst um, that supports entrepreneurs from ideation and growth to exits. Um, but then also, you know, providing direct funding to companies as well. So we have many programs um, that are non-dilutive capital to help accelerate kind of the early stages of growth of a company. Um, and then, you know, we, we offer uh, other programming relative to, you know, again, building that, that, in, that community infrastructure across our state. So if you think about, you know, incubators, accelerators, co-working spaces where that, that dynamic knowledge sharing is happening and where kind of innovation actually starts and, and occurs. For more information, please visit www.ctnext.com. This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in here. Welcome to CT Startup. All right. Hey, everybody. We're another episode of the CT Startup Podcast, and this is another one in the series of us being down at third place at Half Full Brewery. And uh, one of the things about this podcast that I get to have conversations with people that I've actually done work with sometimes uh, and interacted with uh, and, and in and around some of the programs and projects that we have talked about. And my next guest is, is uh, in that boat. Uh, we have Richard Guha, who is an entrepreneur in residence at Tip Digital. How are you doing, Richard? Hi there, Eric. How are you? Good, good. So Richard, tell us a little bit about, so um, it's kind of interesting is that I ended up uh, doing some work with you at Sacred Horror, uh, part of the Techstars program uh, in 2020 and all that kind of stuff. But it's like you, your name I heard before that. Uh, many other people kind of told me, oh, talk to Richard here. You're an EIR here, EIR there. So like, tell us a little bit about who you are and why you're so interested in the Connecticut startup scene. Okay, sure. Um, my, I mean, I'm interested in Connecticut. So I'm interested in the startup scene, but Connecticut because I happen to live in Connecticut as much as anything else. Well, that's uh, good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but uh, I started off. Uh, I mean, in summation, I started off thinking I was going to be an engineer. I ended up going into marketing at Procter and Gamble. 
Uh, spent about 20-some, 20 25 years in corporate business in one form or another in various kinds of companies and some strategy consulting. Um, and it wasn't startups per se initially, but it was very much to do with innovation, new products, changing businesses, etc. And I can look, point to products I've launched, companies I've, I've transformed, changed around. And what happened at the same time was I think it was around the early 90s, I had various things start happening. A friend of mine here, actually I was living in Connecticut at the time, I lived in 10 cities in the United States, but I've been to Connecticut twice. Um, a friend of mine in Connecticut was starting up a business and he said, hey, you know, I had a corporate job at the time, would you mind being on the board of directors, helping me out in the evenings? And I thought, well, we, we didn't even really th think about startups and VCs in those days. I mean, they really didn't it, it fully exist. Uh, and, and so I said, fine. Uh, it, the business did very well, very well. It was called um, Millennia 3. It was a Y2K solution, software solution. Went very well. The timing was right. The business sold out quite profitably. And I thought, hey, this is easy. This is fun. At the same time, I, I was also involved in businesses where we needed to create new products for the technology we had. Uh, you know, one of my big corporate sort of claims to fame was that I was actually the person who named and introduced broadband to the consumer. It had been a very technical term beforehand, and we introduced it. And that was when I was with US West. And we had these fat pipes, as people were calling them at the time, and we had to have content to shovel down it. And there was nothing out there. So we were taking investments. We set up our own internal investment group to invest in products like Pointcast, you may or may not remember, which was a push news and weather application, video on demand, and people said, no one will want to watch uh, vi movies on that computer. We already have cable. Well, by the way, we were the taking the cable business from about 20 channels up to about 200, 400, 500. That was so that the change in that was happening, and I thought, this is great. I love this innovation stuff. Uh, I went then, then down to Houston where we were doing um, deregulation of the energy business where also we were investing in some of the alternative energy forms such as batteries and solar and wind and everything like that and innovation sort of continued to happen. Then I went to S Silicon Valley to run a software company um, called a Remedy which was um, again the same kind of stuff we were in, in the software business, you tend to acquire late-stage startups or growth companies in order to build out your portfolio, and we were doing some of that. We had our own, again, strategic investment group, and, and, and that was kind of interesting. And then that company got acquired, and I decided that I really didn't want to go back to a full-time corporate job, but I was going to get involved in either consulting to big companies or small companies, which are specifically startups. Startups are more fun. I mean, the big companies are good. They can, they got budgets. They can do all sorts of wonderful stuff, and I still do some of that. Typically around that sort of innovation area, I have some corporate clients right now. But um, the startups were, were interesting, and having done that, based in Boston, which was the US West thing, the Houston, the Silicon Valley, I had a perspective on it and got fairly involved and fairly well known so people would call me and, and ask for help or not, as the case may be. And then when I moved back to Connecticut, and that was, I moved back to Connecticut because my, largely because my daughter had been wanting to go to school in California, ended up going to UConn undergraduate. And I thought, well, 
you know, it didn't matter where I live, I'll move back to Connecticut, and got involved in the, um, uh, the, 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 the startup space in Stanford. I was on the board of advisors for that. I got involved as an entrepreneur in residence with CT Next. I did that for about five years. Um, do a ver and even right now, I do various things, both uh, ranging from corporate stuff to if you like the not-for-profit world, which pays but not as well, such as the government or universities, and every through alumni groups. So, for example, I went to Cambridge, and there's a Cambridge University alumni alum, uh, alumni entrepreneurs group. I'm on the, the committee of that. We run things like that. So, one way or another, I'm usually involved in that. I'm also have been involved for about ten years with Astia, which focuses on women entrepreneurs. And I get, I, I'm engaged with some of their businesses, so I'm I'm on the boards of directors. Sometimes a company will say to me, you know, we don't want to lose you. Will you please come on our board of directors? Obviously, I've got to be careful when there's conflict. But it, when there's no conflict and it's something I like, I will sometimes do that. Only sometimes, though. Um, tip to me, um, and I got involved in Tip Farmington a few years ago when I was doing my CT Next situation. Um, and obviously, in many ways, very different from digital because it required space. It was a lab. <coughs> it was a wet lab, which these companies needed. We have inadequate, insufficient wet, wet lab space across the country, never mind Connecticut, by the way. This is one of the big issues for a lot of biotech startups. So they scramble, scramble space wherever they can, a, a sink somewhere in an abandoned building. And I'm only slightly exaggerating there. Um, so when TIP started up, in uh, uh, having gone through a very successful growth curve, when TIP started off the digital um, thing here, I, it also appealed to me because among other things that I've done, I also was involved in and, and I'm still on the board of and, and was the CEO of a uh, big data analysis company called Cinescope, which was a Dutch company, um, which um, was very much so big data data analysis, et cetera, was something I'd gotten very involved in also there. So when I was looking at this, the wide open spaces, uh, and, and essentially what I worked on is almost everything. I mean, it sounds bizarre to say that, but it's easier to find what I don't specialize in yeah. than what I do. I mean, actually, I'm involved in helping a company now whose target is a defense industry, although I generally will say I'm not an expert in the defense industry, but what I know is process. Same with things like ed tech. I don't know much about ed tech. Uh, there are a lot of things I don't, but when you come to startups, there are two sides of it. One is the expertise and the technology in the industry, and the other is the process. And a lot of people, when they're doing startups, don't understand the process. They may be technologically adept, they may have a great idea, and they don't understand the process. Or sometimes they just never will. Um, in fact, one of the saddest things I always have is when someone comes into me with what seems like a brilliant idea, and I'm always very careful about judging ideas because I sit there and after half an hour and go, you guys aren't gonna make it. Whatever, you don't have the ability, you don't have the expertise at managing pro the project management side of it. It isn't just something you can just wing. You can't just say, I'm a, 
a, a brilliant physicist so I can start a business because you can't necessarily. Yeah, I mean, there's people that want to actually understand that the building a business is a process and you're, you're going to fail, you're going to, you have to learn, you have to push right. yourself. There's a lot of times where you have to say, I don't know, and I need to find somebody that does. And, and so it's like as a, so an EIR, right? There's, I guess the, the term EIR is probably, and depending on what organization you talk to, it means <laughs> it's a very different. different things and yes. yada, yada, right? Um, every every innovation program has an EIR at some point and so forth. But like my understanding is that you're, at the end of the day, you're mentoring, you're helping people out, you're trying to get them to kind of at, maybe ask questions or poke holes in their idea to help them kind of get to the, to the next stage. So how is how is the work that you're doing right now at Tip Digital? Like, what are you doing? Are you, are you just meeting with the um, the students, or are you meeting with other? No, companies Tip so Digital is not students primarily. Okay. At least not it's it's not focused on yeah. students. It's not really. That's maybe like the Worth Institute. There's the Worth like Institute idea, yeah. is focused yeah. on the students, and you know, great does a wonderful job. One of the things I think. UConn's done, which is good, is separate out the two. Yeah. Because what treat I've them differently, right? you treat them differently. What you're doing with undergraduates, I mean, I was just teaching a class this morning to undergraduates, and they're clueless. I mean, nice people, <laughs> and you know, intelligent. I mean, they're, they're only clueless. 18, 19, 20 years old. Exactly. Give them a little credit. So, right? oh yeah, I mean, I'm not saying clueless <laughs> in a sense. I mean, of, I wasn't uh, like that when I was. There. You know, you weren't, <laughs> and neither was I. But therefore, you have to start from a much more basic thing. You can't assume they know yeah. anything. When you're dealing with and tip, I would say typically the tip is probably dealing with people in their 50s, mm -hmm. 40s, 50s, yep. 60s. And it's very interesting. I know someone who has an accelerator uh, focused on people over 40. And I've said to her, I said, almost everyone's over 40 when they do a startup. By the time they get to the level where they've got some expertise and got some knowledge, yeah, you'll find the few people who are younger, of course. But you actually look at it, it's about... The median age is about fifty for an entrepreneur. Well, yeah, because I mean, a lot of I, I think a lot of people um, don't realize that people come out of corporations to start something, right? They they saw something big, and yeah. that's I think that's the the whole point of this innovation yeah. places kind of a thing is that we're trying to pull those people out of the corporations, right. uh, the people that uh, had the idea, they understand how to get it into the bigger markets or yeah. the bigger kind of problem to to address. Um, you know, a lot of people, it, it's kind of funny is that when startups, um, you know, I, we've seen it when we worked at Sacred Heart on that kind of project. A lot of people consumer focused or I want to sell a trinket here or this or that type of um, mm -hmm. clothing business. That's fine. That's, that's all well and good. That's just, you know, you, mm -hmm. a startup is a business or, uh, you know, entrepreneur can be defined in many different ways. Right. But it's the ones that come out of the, the 40, 50 year olds that have been in it that kind of understand, again, the, the scale issue and how to go about it um, yep. and, and manage that process. So. In fact, it, people have done research on in terms of what's an innovation hub. Yeah. Innovation hubs tend to center around big corporations. Well, yeah. Uh, and the one very specific thing they did was look at uh, Rochester when Kodak went belly up. Okay. There was a huge decline on entrepreneurialism because most startups in there came from people who'd left Kodak. You see the same in Eindhoven around Philips. And by the way, Hewlett Packard did the same kind of thing in Silicon Valley. If it hadn't been for people leaving that company, when you don't have big companies can be cumbersome, slow, sometimes awful. But that's, in a sense, a good thing because there are smart people within those companies who feel frustrated and want to do their own thing. And they will tend to gather around them an ecosystem. And no ecosystem will, has ever survived without some big companies around it. The, the big companies, by the way, are not usually very good at driving it, but they sort of accidentally 
provide the people. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the institutions, right? It's the mm. bigger players. And again, we, I kind of mentioned this on the, on the podcast with Wes, is that it's the ups and downs that in innovation, it's not necessarily like it, it is trending upwards, but it's an up and down upwards, like, you know, um, yep. and it's, you know, feedback loop. And so you need the institutions that can weather the storms a little bit that have the institutional knowledge that they can't, somebody leaves, they can't kind of pass the buck because they have initiatives that are longer tail and they're looking at bigger problems and 10 year time spans and everything like that. So, um, and again, that's, that's a whole piece of this puzzle. And, and so, the, I mean, you have been in EIR in a few different universities, right? At CT Next, um, where I guess you, you kind of like span a couple of different ecosystems here in Connecticut, right? Well, even in Connecticut, yes, yeah, I yeah. span several, and I still, I mean, I was <laughs> on the phone to London this morning, for yeah, example, yeah. I, and, and so I get, which by the way, I think one of the powerful things you've got is be able to cross connect. Yeah. Um, being able to take an idea here, something, I have learned something dealing with someone in wherever, um, you know, be it Silicon Valley or be it the Netherlands, and have been able to apply it or connect with someone, uh, with someone here. Um, I, I, to me, one of the valuable things any EIR or mentor or whatever they want to call them has to do, because you're not going to be an expert in everything. You, so when someone comes in and you don't know the industry, I had someone come in to me a couple of years ago who had a gun, a new gun stock. Okay. I know nothing about gun stocks. I know nothing about the arms industry. I have fired a gun, but I have no idea about the technology behind it. But I happen to have a friend who is an executive vice president at Smith & Wesson, mm -hmm. and um, who, by the way, before that was in the beer business and whatever, and he says he specializes in, in everything like that. Um, he's not in CBD, but he probably <laughs> will be. Um, but I introduced this guy to, to my friend who is a Smith & Wesson expert. So it wasn't that I had the expertise in the industry and how you make it and who you talk to, but I know someone who does. And I think that one of the valuable things to have is that broad range of connections so that to some extent I can give them advice. So uh, the call I was on in, uh, with London today, it happens to be an industry I know quite a, lot about, quite a lot about, so I can give them some advice. Um, but in other cases, I'm talking to someone I don't know much about their industry, and what I'll do is I'll tie them up with someone I know who can help them. So part of it is recognizing what it is, where they need help. It's also a bit of analysis. It's like, this person's really smart, but they're disorganized, or they don't understand a project management. And a lot of people don't understand project management. And that's management. fair. I mean, not everybody can play the, the role. I mean, you're different types of CEOs, different types of operators right. and, and founders. I, I, there's so. nothing necessarily wrong yeah. with it. But so the, what you do is you find them the help they need. So it isn't always me providing every single bit of help. You know, if they need help with accounting software, um, again, I know enough to know what who to who talk to and that kind of stuff. Rather, than, don't expect me to implement well, it's an ERP to like, system. Yeah, and, and again, it's like from the professional mentor kind of side of things, right? It's just moving them along, right? Yep. Or trying to help them un uncover a potential pitfall that they're going to kind of, yep. uh, kind of, uh, um, yep. you know, not see. Basically. And, and another thing I spend an awful lot of time with is the human side of things. People will call me and say, "I've just fallen out with my partner." Uh, it's like so. I, this is the marriage guidance counselor side of it. Yeah, 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 so yeah. it's and I always say to someone, by the way, people tend to leap into partnerships, find a co-founder too fast. Um, so often it doesn't work out because not because they're bad people, but because you actually don't share the same objectives. One wants to make a quick killing and get out in three years. The other wants to pass it down to their kids. Make sure you have those discussions beforehand. But if you don't, how do you get it's resolved? It's very rare that people um, uh, don't don't 
fall into some sort of trap of the partnership relationship. Like, I mean, like every every founder, every kind of business has gone through some sort of exiting this. Again, I've yeah. I've gone through with my business. I have too several times. Ways. <laughs> uh, also, uh, life changes. Life yep. happens. Entrepreneurs, uh, things happen in your life where this is not my baby anymore because I have a real baby. You know, kind of thing. And and, and so, um, you know, that's that's something where. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know if it's an actual saying or whatever, but it's like people are made of businesses and people cause problems. So it's just like what you have to assume that part of a business or part of a startup is actually managing people yep. and, and the expectations within it. Yep. Um, and uh, and again, uh, again, from the professional mentor side of things, trying to get people to maybe be a little bit more self-aware, right, of what they're you know uh, what they're good at, what maybe they're not good at, right? So. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I mean, this is it's sort of fascinating. It's not just uh, I have a brilliant. People will think, all so often, I have a brilliant idea, investors are going to rush to give me money, people are going to come to buy my product, everything's going to be all hunky-dory from now on, and it isn't. Whatever business you're in, you ha that's the other thing, people underestimate the importance of selling. Uh, yeah, I say to people, oh, I'm going to, you know, you, you, I, I'm going to hire a salesperson. I'm sorry, it's not going to work. I will tell you that it won't work. <laughs> the kind well, of you can get a co-founder that's a salesperson. Get, exactly. That's a but the kind of that. person you're going to hire if you're a startup as a salesperson is not going to be the kind of person you need, guaranteed. Yeah. And by the way, in, in in all, it's nice if you can find part of a team who can sell who becomes a co-founder or is a co-founder at the beginning. Um, but sometimes, um, but the idea that you're going to be able to hire someone is unrealistic. And sometimes you're better off learning to sell. So if you are not a natural salesperson, mm -hmm. You can learn. These are trainable skills. I mean, you just got to look up Zig Ziglar. Come on, just go go, go out there and, you know. Well, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it is. You go and you learn the, I mean, there's some fantastic books I'll recommend to people. Just like, you know, the Lean Startup maybe to this person and it's project management to another or how to do develop software to another. So that's the other thing that is the only people is being able to recommend reading material. Mm -hmm. Some people don't read. Uh, I mean, one of the things which is stunning to me is that about one-third of all high school students and uh, graduates never read a book after they graduate, and it's even a higher percentage of college graduates who never read a book oh, yeah. afterwards. I, I mean, mean, they might read an article. I, don't hate me. I'm, I'm an Audible person, all right? I'll, I'll run through that's, Audible. That's reading a book, okay, if you, okay. so long as you listen to the whole thing. So I, and what you, it well, is. first of all, some people, d d like, the fact that you have to finish a book is, like, one of those, like, kind of things. It's like, yeah. if it's not working for no, you, no. put it aside. There's enough right. material out there for sure. But, but, it, but if all you did was listen to snippets and sound bites, I'd no, be able to No, no, no. I mean, nervous. that's when, for, if it's for a greater <laughs> class, basically, yeah, we'll do, you know, because I have other things to do, yeah. right? You know, yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, there's definitely books that I've read uh, numerous times or I listen to it once a year, this or that. You see, you're not, you're not so. one of those people I was condemning. That's what yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> but there are an awful lot of people who, who sort of think, uh, and, and that, by the way, that's another thing. Uh, oh, I have a college degree. I've learned everything I need to learn. Guess what? Knowledge is a half-life. It gets out of date. And you need to work yeah. constantly and you need to spend a significant amount of time learning just to keep up to date is another issue which a lot of people don't so fully recognize. Yeah. And you know, go, uh, taking a, 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 a Udemy course or something like that isn't necessarily the, the answer. It may be, but you've got to be prepared to 
talk to people, yeah. re read a book, listen to a book, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess a little bit on a, a left turn, but also kind of uh, related to that is that like, so higher ed right now, I know, I mean, you're, you're part of uh, Tip Digital, um, you know, you've been in uh, an ERR position, been in, involved in projects with other universities and so forth. And so like, I mean, right now being an entrepreneur, I mean, you can, all the business stuff you want to learn, you can learn for free online. I mean, MIT or Harvard has free courses, you learn it everywhere, mm -hmm. right? And so what are some of the, like, um, you know, from, from a student perspective that you would encourage if you're, if a student is listening to this kind of a thing, like how, what would, how would you encourage them to attack entrepreneurship at this point? I, I think there is nothing quite like getting your feet wet. Mm -hmm. I mean, academic entrepreneurism is kind of scary. Um, I think the other thing. It, what do you mean scary? What do you mean scary? The idea that you can learn how to be an entrepreneur by re by reading a book or going to a course. Okay. And okay. with that personal experience, it because it gets much more internally imbued. It's funny when I was at university, I did a couple of. I mean, I wouldn't, in those days, we didn't even think of it that. We just, we started a magazine. We started a mobile disco. We didn't think of it as entrepreneurialism. Just sort of did it, and they were complete disasters. But I learned what not to do. Um, or at least some of what not to do. So it's just get like your feet dirty. Just like, your feet it's, wet. Kind of, it's kind of funny. Running a lemonade stand. Yeah. You know? It's uh, it's actually so it, it's kind of going back to like the forty year old kind of startup person, like the, the most people that are starting these companies. I would kind of argue that a lot of the, there's a lot of people that are younger than that, but like they may be failing. They, and like and, and those forty year olds sometimes hit problems that the thirty year old the same problem. They hit the same exact problems. Right. They're just sure. different ages and they can deal with it differently, sure. right? And so it's, I know for me, it's it's also entrepreneurship is risky, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's a little bit easier when you're younger, right? You don't have all the, the burdens on you. And that's probably why. Yep. It, it's kind of interesting. This past year, uh, a lot of people jumped, jumped ship, right? They, they said, you know what? This yep. this corporate life isn't yep. for me. Pandemic's going to cut everything off anyways. I'm going to go start a business and, and everything. Um, but then also there's a lot of people that couldn't do that and still can't do that, right? Because they have all the burden of everything yep. else, you know? Yep. So yep. it's, uh, you know, I think that getting the, your feet wet and just, just starting, right? Just, just Yeah, and it's work. a matter of a bit of a risk yeah. profile as well. Some people will take a risk and some won't. I mean, there are 65-year-olds who literally have got not a penny in the bank and they'll go off and be an entrepreneur. This is Colonel Sanders. This is John Sterling who started the University of Phoenix. University of Phoenix was started by a 65-year-old entrepreneur who was a not very successful college professor. I and mean, sometimes you have, when you have nothing to lose, you just gotta you got, put it all Exactly, you, know, you had yeah, nothing yeah, to lose, yeah, and yeah. guess what, by the time he was 70 or 80, he was were very wealthy. Yeah. Same with Colonel Sanders, um, same with the, um, McDonald's as well, uh, yeah. Ray Kroc. Um, I mean, these it can happen, some people just will never, I know a good friend of mine, incredibly smart, incredibly entrepreneurial in terms of idea, he has created about that I know of, four or five ideas that other people have taken and made millions of. <laughs> and he keeps on saying, I want to be an entrepreneur, but he can't leave his corporate job. Yeah, he but, cannot we, but do we it. all know an idea is, you know, you know idea, ideas aren't really worth much of the execution, right? It's, it's right. all about execution. execution and, um, it is. And, you know, like I think that there's been a few times where we're in those startup weekends where it's like, are you going to make this into an LLC or is it just going to be a business? Like, you got like, to take some of those, like, legitimate right. steps, right? You right. know, like, to actually make it. It's like the boring work of right. making it a business. And, and that's the thing of being a student. You can learn yeah. all you like. You can read all the books. You can talk to all these people. But you've got to go out and do it to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. And so going back to that, that, that whole issue of how do you learn to be an entrepreneur 
it is uh, literally by getting and 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 yeah, if you have to do it in a low risk space to say the lemonade stand fine yeah. do it um i mean listen the lemonade stand nowadays are, are the the shoes or the other things right and there's some kids there's uh, yeah. i'm envious of some of the 16 year olds making you know six figures selling, selling nikes right yep um I, I i do see some people kind of argue like that's not a real business this and that and I get that it's not necessarily business building, but it's it's making money. Like and, and at this time, right. you know, th there's legitimate like games right now that you can just play and earn crypto and actually make legitimate money, which is crazy. Yep. Uh, so that's a whole other thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, it's it's uh, from the from the EIR standpoint, you know, I think it's just either getting helping people get out of their own way, uh, kind of steering them towards a resource yep. they may not know. Um, and or kind of just uh, pushing them to actually move forward with it, right? And, and do something. And I think there is a, another <coughs> difference. If I'm dealing with undergraduates versus I'm dealing with, let's say, postdocs or yeah. uh, peer, peer, there's one difference. A lot, most undergraduates are not going to become entrepreneurs, but many of them may become entrepreneurs. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they, this they, was yeah. the whole entrepreneurship idea. Corporations like people who are creative and innovative and start a business. They don't want, necessarily want people who are going to leave with the idea, but if I'm a big company these days, I want someone who's got some experience of innovating an idea, because 70 to 80% of the steps are very similar being an entrepreneur or entrepreneur. Oh, for sure. You still you have to look for money. You still have to raise, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now you have some resources once you, people get behind you and so on, so it's a less risk. You also don't get to be a millionaire, but you can get to do very well. Yeah, you get promoted. Know, depending and, on it, depending on where you're working. Yeah, you know, but so. most companies, they'll reward you, but not quite as, as generous. I mean, the guy who invented... Well, risk and reward, risk and reward. Yeah, the know? guy who invented Post-it Notes made a lot of money, but he wasn't a billionaire either, well, but he probably made billions for 3M, and you know, <laughs> yeah. probably made a few million for himself but yeah. that's it so so those so so a lot of what you're trying to teach the undergraduate isn't with expectation that they're going to become entrepreneurs but they're going to become innovators in some form or another they're going to be running a business in an innovative way so you're trying to help them there so that's it, it, that's part of the thing when you're dealing with a postdoc or someone who's been in business for a number of years in a big corporation that's not what you're about. Now you're about helping them to actually make it happen. Now you're about make the introduction. So there is a difference in what you do. The syllabus is different, if you like, um, for the whole process. The lesson plan is completely different. And so, yeah. sorry. No, 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 no. And, and uh, the, again, it's uh, um, different. It, a lot of the same principles. Lean startup can be the same thing, whether it be a startup or an sure. internal kind of a project, sure. right? So, um, so I guess, uh, I guess, kind of uh, the topic I kind of want to kind of uh, uh, kind of start ending with is that. Where do you think Connecticut is right now? Because you've been around kind of the block a little bit. Mm -hmm. You've been kind of uh, a part of different kind of uh, programs and initiatives around the state. So, like, where w where do you see Connecticut is, and like, how, how did we how did we fare coming out of the COVID? Like, are we are our innovation ecosystems as robust or more robust than they were before, or what? I, I think Connecticut has pros and cons. Um, you know, it's very interesting because if you look at like California and so on, the state government has very little to do with anything there. It's very much a private enterprise ecosystem. Companies help. There are activities. You can go to the Churchill Club. You go. I mean, there are places you can go to where you can meet all the VCs. You can meet all the entrepreneurs. There's a huge concentration. You can. There are half a dozen uh, Starbucks or Pete's Coffee yeah. or whatever where you'll go. And that's where you'll rub shoulders with mm -hmm. with famous people. Um, and you can't do that here. For a number one, we don't have as many. B because there is a psychology. It's for example. For a startup, it's easier to get funded in, in, in California. Palo Alto High School, which is a public high school, 
invests in startups. No public high school here yeah, would invest in a startup. From somebody at some point or no, they do it. <laughs> no, no, no they just no. do it. They do it. Because guess what? All the parents are entrepreneurs. They they regard that as part of the function of a school to do stuff like that. There was one where they actually made an enormous amount of money. I mean, usually they invest yeah. small amounts and you know whatever. Yeah, but we're not but like a Silicon Valley. No, we're not, exactly. We're, we're, so we're, we're so that's the, there's right that. But then if you look at, for example, you look at a Mississippi. I know a guy who runs the equivalent of a. CICT next program in Mississippi, and it's kind of sad um, because he has there's no interest, no money, no anything like that. We're somewhat in between. And one of the things actually I, I think Connecticut has done well is when in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, when Smokestack America started declining, people realized that there had to be something to take its place, and thus CI. CI was a very early venture capital fund. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I give credit to CI for what it is. While people may say, well, it's conservative, it's designed to be conservative. Yeah. And it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It provides great seed money. It does a good job with the activities around it. The innovation places, again, execution is key. We've slipped up on some execution of things, but we've tried. Kept, I think lessons, fortunately, lessons were learned, right? Fortunately, we have kept trying. I mean, it would have been really easy for people to go, oh, well, it failed, let's stop. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, that... Which those conversations were had. I, mean, I know they had. They, they, they were definitely had. And there are people who still think that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, but, but, but also, but it's also the, the, the saying, hey, well, this is here. We have had some outcomes of this that have been beneficial, right? That's and right. You, you have seen the progress. More people sure. are involved and more people are... So it's like, yep. it's one of those things where to say that those conversations aren't had, they are had, and, and there's that's a lot right. of people that are standing up for the ecosystem, right? Yeah. And keep on pushing Exactly. And that's a good thing. And I think in that sense, the state, it's been very good. I think that we have our share of entrepreneurs. I would love to see us going a little bit back to the roots. I mean, frankly, this state, and I actually have a commercial client, which where this has really come to the fore, this state is superb at manufacturing. It's one of the best in manufacturing. Advanced manufacturing technology, all the manufacturing stuff, we're really good at it. We have 4,000 manufacturers in this state. Mm -hmm. We have 148 aerospace manufacturers. Yeah. And we're really good at it. We don't use that enough. We, don't, we keep on sometimes chasing things which actually aren't as sure bets. I mean, we have the Sikorsky's, the Pratt & Whitney's, electric boat companies. We have an immense amount of skill in this state which we don't use. I mean, the example I always quote to people is Germany, which has the highest labor costs in the world, yet has the highest value of manufactured exports in the world because they focus on the things which are really added value where skilled workers, and frankly, we've probably had a decline in skilled workers, but we still have a lot compared to most states. We actually are pretty good at it. I think I would love to see us doing more. We have some wonderful companies, which I actually won't name, which should be, I mean, we, well, I'll give a good example. Stanley Black & Decker's done a great job. I'm very impressed with what they've done. And there are several other companies in Connecticut which should be doing the same thing. I think the companies have a little bit let us down. Some of the big companies here, they could be doing more. I think funding is another issue. I know plenty of people in Connecticut who are wealthy who will invest in Silicon Valley or New York or Boston but won't invest in Connecticut because there isn't this like, oh, it's a Connecticut startup. It can't be as good as something in New York. Um, and then they'll invest in a VC in New York which will then invest in a startup in Connecticut. So that's something I, I would like to see more of. Um, I would like to see um, the, the state as a whole. I mean, for example, we produce, we have 40-some uh, four-year universities in this state. We produce an awful lot of college graduates, many of whom leave the state. 
We have three of the top programs in the country for digital, digital video game design, believe it or not. Yet we don't have a video game industry. So guess what? They have to leave. Now, some of them can repurpose themselves yeah. as programmers. But many of them, because that's what they want to do, they leave. So, so I think there, there is a bit of a disconnect here between what we produce. We produce incredibly talented, very smart people who don't always have a home to go to. And I think that's something. And I think I do put some of that fault on the business and the industry in the state. It's amazing how many companies in the state run accelerator programs, but they run them outside Connecticut. Um, yeah, and, and, and the, I mean, it's, it's a combination of the, the companies, but also the universities, right? Because some of those skilled people, oh, yeah. they, you know, um, which again, Tip Digital yep. is part of it, using the commercialization, yep. trying to keep those people in UConn's there. UConn's um, done a great job. Yeah, Yale um, does a great job, and it's a different way, but it, it definitely does. Some of the universities, uh, I mean, it's interesting, there's a, a student uh, prize called the, uh, the Rice Project from, through Rice University okay. in, down in Houston. About two and a half million dollars in prizes for student stuff. And it's really interesting. Yale won uh, one of the, uh, the, the finalists last year, and so was Quinnipiac. But no one else got a look in. But even then, actually, two, it was actually pretty damn good. So if you look at it even at that level, it's not too bad. But at the same time, it was interesting where it came from. They didn't come from many of the other universities, which are academically very good. We have academically really good universities at all levels in this university, in this state. And, and some of them weren't as, as enthused about entrepreneurialism as I think they should be and yeah, could be. Yeah, and I think as some of those smaller universities or some of the other universities where innovation entrepreneurship like they didn't like some places doubled down right and they, they kind of went a little bit harder into it and kind of you know um, mm -hmm. and, and some of the professors maybe kind of felt a little bit more agency that they can get stuff done while I think we both know that there's some y universities that just they the, they couldn't get out of their own way That's you right. know and just couldn't right. actually kind of make things happen and it, it, I mean it's, it's a part of it not everybody's supposed to make it there's supposed to be failures there's yep. you know and, and, yep. and everything so don't yep. really want to hate on that necessarily no, no. but you know, um, it is something where the universities have to be better at saying, hey, Connecticut is a place to be, and then yep. you, the, also the, the corporations yeah. have to be, which again, this is the whole point of the innovation places and connecting right. the dots and kind of right. what Wes is doing, CT Next and Launch Hard for they connect the dots and try to just make sure it, yep. it gets done because um, it's not everybody's day job, right? No, <laughs> I mean, the reality, if I look at, you know, we, we mentioned California, but I've talk, and I talk about some of the states which have done not very good mm -hmm. job. There are a few other states. I, I would put Connecticut, based on my op pure observation rather than anything else, probably, well, certainly in the top 20, maybe even in the top 10, uh, probably right at that 12, 11, 12, that kind of thing. So, you know, we're not a Massachusetts, we're not a New York, we're not, but, you know, you can't, can't expect us to be, frankly. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't disappoint me. But we're actually well ahead of average. And for the on a per capita basis, for the size of state we are, <coughs> we're really good. Now, on the wealth basis, here again, this is the highest per capita income state in the country, and we probably could do a nudge better. I think the corporations, again, the big corporations, the big and mid-sized corporations, because a corporation with a few hundred million in revenue can be more innovative than they can be. And I think, <coughs> while well, some have been, the others have got opportunity. I mean, I, one of my missions in life, actually, is to 
I've targeted a few companies which have not done a very good job in innovation in the last 10 or 15 years, and I want to get to them, and I want to get them to step up, and I want to get them, because I've done this before from a corporate thing, both at US West and Reliant Energy. I know what it takes. I've seen it happen at Stanley Black, I've Stanley Black and Decker. I've seen other companies do, I mean, IBM. 3M has been like this high thing for a while. Procter & Gamble started Connect and Develop now probably 25 years ago. And billions of dollars of P&G's current business comes from that program they had, which was a, quote, external development program. You just got to find the people inside. Because I've, I've definitely there. I've, I've definitely come across yep. some people at P&G that are interested in doing yep. stuff. But it's just, again, it's the, it's yeah. the right t timing is half the battle sometimes, right? That's right. It, but a lot of it comes from the top. And that's, I think, where Stanley Black yeah. & Deck has done so well. They it did, really yeah. has come from the top. And, but they also have a guy like Marty Guay, who's 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 out there. Who yeah. he's, he's a spokesperson both internally yep. and externally for the program, right? And he yep. he makes things kind of happen. So, right. um, and and then he brings people in underneath him that can also get it done. So, um, so I think between, but it's all have to yep. work together. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think what Yukon's been doing over the last ten years has been amazingly good. I mean, Yukon has now gone from being in this area probably a university you wouldn't have thought of very much to being probably one of the top universities and i think there are areas we can do even better you know the more we can push that the better i think stanford is an important location by the way that's another point um, you know, Farmington is wonderful because when you need wet lab space, you need space yeah, and you need yeah, cheap yeah, land, yeah. so you have to do that. When you're doing digital, where half the time people aren't even going to be there, Stanford's a much better location because of where it is. It's real close to New York, close to New Haven and, um, and, and Boston, uh, easy to get around the place, easy to, so I think it's a very good location for what we're trying to do right now in this state. And I think we can really grow and blow that business quite business. The, yeah, the yeah. business is <laughs> substantially, I think, in terms yeah. of a business because it is. A, I mean, UConn's setting up a business, yep. and I think it's a real opportunity. Nope, and it's good to see uh, Tip uh, expand to different um, uh, places. Again, we had Mustafa and uh, Margaret Anna talking about that, and 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 uh, you know, we uh, talked to a bunch of companies at Tip uh, Farm ten years ago and everything. Mm -hmm. So. Um, definitely from from my side of things it, it's always great to see the expansion uh, seeing the same people around because it is a long-term effort it doesn't happen overnight um, as, as uh, we've uh, all heard before so um so yeah so i guess richard how can people get interact with you at uh, as the eir at tip um is it just anybody that's involved like how is just could any company that's kind of in the digital data realm kind of come and yes interact with i mean my i mean i spend some time mentoring companies which aren't quite ready for tip so okay. there are several companies i've introduced to tip whether they've got in or not isn't the point but if someone says you know i'm not sure if i'm ready or not i'm happy to firstly give you feedback okay. on whether you are or not and if you if you're close I'm happy to mentor you before you get into TIP. So actually, this company I'm talking to Thursday, which needs a bit of help. This company I talked to last week, which need, which I think could make it. Um, part of that making it is the testing out of the individual as well as the technology and everything like that. So absolutely, if someone says, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready for it, because again, I would say to someone, you, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, so you want to go in strong and yep. well. But you can come to me and make a fool of yourself, and I won't care too much. It, just too much. <laughs> um, and uh, so someone can email me or call me. I can be Googled. I can be whatever. My email address, the best email address for me is richard at guha.us. Uh, so it's really easy, just Richard, and then 
Guha and then just the .us people do .com and someone else got Guha.com before me, uh, hey, whom I hate. And, and he, he's, he, maybe he's mentoring these people too, but you know. No, he's, he's a senior research science, scientist at Google and has been for 20 odd years, so I guess he can do that. Um, and I've been yeah, in touch yeah, with yeah. him, by the way, of how dare you. Um, but um, so you can contact me that way. I'm Googleable. Uh, frankly, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on so pretty much. So you're on the interwebs, right? You're on the metaverse, right? I'm I'm in the metaverse right, exactly. Right, yeah. I'm on Instagram and I'm on <laughs> I even on Snapchat, although I don't use okay. it very much. Um, you're not on TikTok, though, right? No, no I'm okay. so the, the, okay. the best thing to do is to contact me um, through email or phone or or LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn's fine. Very good. We'll uh, we'll put some of those links in the uh, show notes and everything so yep. they can reach out to you. So uh, if you uh, are out there in Connecticut, um, in this, especially in the Stanford region, doing data science, kind of look at TIP. Uh, and again, uh, think that you might be uh, a good fit for them. Obviously, reach out to uh, Richard and he can uh, kind of talk you through that. Oh, so. want to come to Connecticut? I'm always interested oh, in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're even more interested in that sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, All right, cool. Well, Richard, thank you very much. And uh, it's always a good chat with you. Right. Pleasure. Thank you, Eric. When starting a podcast, one step in the journey is landing a sponsorship. And in 2021, CT Startup is thankful to have two sponsors. One of those sponsors is Connecticut Innovations, or as some people know it, CI, an organization that has been a key player in turning Connecticut into a hub for innovation. In 2020, Bloomberg ranked Connecticut as the fourth most innovative economy in the country. And CI is one of those organizations here in Connecticut that can take credit for that ranking. CI is Connecticut's strategic venture capital arm and is the leading source of financing and ongoing support for innovative, growing companies. By offering equity investments, strategic guidance, and introductions to valuable partners, they are enabling promising businesses to thrive. For more information on how Connecticut Innovations can work with your company, please visit their website, www.ctinnovations.com. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. See you next week.